you know, I just got to protect myself, make sure nobody's out there making important decisions based on what I say. Well, they will. That's what this is all about. You're going to, you're going to school the entire bourbon world of influencers out there and tell them what they've been doing wrong the entire time. This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. We all have our favorite people and our favorite brands that we follow on social media. I hope you're following Bourbon Pursuit, but there's a lot of people out there that get categorized as influencers on every platform like Instagram and TikTok, but there's also every brand. They have to be on social media too. And since alcohol is a heavily regulated product, there's a ton of rules in place to make sure the industry stays compliant. And for the most part, many are breaking these rules on a daily basis, and we just didn't know about it. And you could potentially face legal action from government bodies like the FTC. Well, to help us get more educated on the subject, we're joined by Nicole Shustak. She's the counsel at McDermott, Will & Emery Law Firm. I asked Nicole a bunch of questions about the things I see on social media every day. It comes to things like influencers actually getting free bottles in the mail, disclosing brand connections. There's other things we see, such as bourbon charity raffles. But what could be the legal implications that could follow? With that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Ryan Doherty, Patreon member, who actually writes Kenny, the question at podcast at bourbonpursuit.com. Huge fan of the podcast and super appreciative of all you guys do for the industry. I know Fred has a wine background, so I thought it might be fun to let him nerd out a little. What wines would you recommend for the American whiskey drinker? Well, I think that's a great question. I tend to go down the path, you know, when you look at the American whiskey drinker, you're looking at a palate that is really accustomed to a lot of flavor, some alcohol content, a big and bold uh, would be typical. So Riojas from Spain, I, I find would kind of fit that category. I think some of the big California cabs uh, would fall down that line as well. But on the white wine side, uh, buttery Chardonnays, buttery Chardonnays, I think really can hit that mark for a for a bourbon drinker. But I'll say this, like, the thing about wine, it's a little bit the case with whiskey too. But the thing about wine, the the winning ticket for me has always been nuance. And a nuance, of course, is just another way to say there's a lot going on in this glass of wine. And to me, some of the greatest uh, nuance regions of the world are ones that you hear about all the time, like Tuscany in, in Italy, uh, Bordeaux, Burgundy. You know, you can find a lot of flavor in all of those uh, wines, but there's one region for me that has always been huge, and that is Saint-Emilion. That's a part of Bordeaux, and I, I love Cabernet Franc, and it is one of my favorite grapes, and they, use, they do a lot with that. So that's a grape that, you know, has some pretty elegant tannins, but I feel like uh, has some robustness to it as well. And let's see, while I'm at it, on some of those kind of like darker grapes, uh, Malbec, I, you know, thought to be kind of like, you know, black wine back in the day. Uh, the home of Malbec is Caor, 
in France, uh, but Argentina is really where it is best known. It's most known for today. And I, I think uh, if you look at Malbec uh, to a whiskey drinker, that could go over very, very nicely. And if there is someone out there that has a sweet tooth, you drink a little bit too much of that double oaked whiskey because it's got that extra sweet oak note in there. I'm talking to you, Kenny. Uh, you might like some ice wines coming out of Canada. So there's a, there's a lot of great wines out there that can please a whiskey palate. Just don't don't go into them looking for the same kind of flavors that you would in whiskey. Go into them with an open mind. But that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. If you would like to be like Ryan, hit me up on Patreon and uh, hit us up with your question. And if we like the idea, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 000273. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome, everybody. We're back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny here today, riding solo, but I've got an interesting guest and an interesting subject. And we always talk about this on the roundtable from time to time because we look at what's happening in the world of influencer marketing and what are people doing on social media and whether it's just for influencers themselves or whether they're brands and what they're doing. And you've got to know that this is a controlled substance. It's a controlled area. And so are you doing things right and by the law? And there's always been people that do giveaways of bottles or people that are doing sample giveaways that are just influencers or they are just trying to say, hey, come follow me, follow this distillery and we'll send you a swag bag and who knows what's in there. And we're going to try to figure out, is some of this legal? Is it not legal? Is it shady? Is it something that people should be getting slapped on the wrist for? And what are the repercussions? And our guest today is going to help us make sure that if you are in this sort of sphere, in this realm, and because that's 
basically you have to live on social media today, whether you are somebody that's a consumer or whether you are a brand and you have to be continually in the eyes of consumers and you've got to figure out how do I attain and how do I mass the most followers? And there's definitely ways to get around and doing that. And sometimes it could be considered legal, maybe sometimes illegal, but we are definitely going to get to that. And our guest is going to be the one that's going to get down to the bottom of it. So today on the show, we have Nicole Shustak. She is part of the council at McDermott, Will and Emery. So Nicole, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kenny. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So before we kind of dive into that, let's kind of talk about some of your your background, your history, your, your law experience here. Kind of tell us what made you get into that sort of realm and then what led you into some sort of the, the booze stuff as well. Just before we get started, um, you know, some to cover some bases, um, everything I say today is my opinion um, and should not be taken as legal advice. If you have any questions, please free to reach out to your attorney. Thank you. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll use it as legal advice as we go through here, but let's get started. So I had a, a bit of an unusual entry into the legal field, or at least the alcohol regulatory kind of legal field. I have been in the field for 10 years, and I started uh, my career actually in the uh, pharmaceutical regulation backgrounds. And so, uh, again, another heavily regulated industry. <laughs> Probably even more than um, Yeah, and not quite as fun, um, you know, in my opinion, but kind of fell my way into a position with the Boston Beer Company, um, which, you know, I worked for eight years predominantly focused my practice on distributor relations and commercial agreements, but a huge chunk of my day-to-day -day was providing support from a regulatory perspective for any marketing or any sales activity for alcohol. So that's kind of where I was first introduced to all of the regulations and all of the complexities of social media or social influencers. And so I supported that at Boston Beer and then moved on to McDermott. And now my practice has expanded. We represent some of the largest suppliers in the world and some of the smaller, smallest craft brands in the world um, in all categories. So in beer, wine and spirits. And we represent, again, predominantly on the regulatory and distribution end of things, but, you know, heavily focused in all aspects of alcohol regulatory from a marketing perspective. So that's just a, a, a bit of a background. And it's kind of one of those career paths that have have evolved a bit. Um, and, you know, one of those happy mistakes where, you know, I didn't set out to be an alcohol beverage attorney, but certainly glad I, I did and lots of perks. So. so are you on TikTok scrolling through and going, ah, that's, <laughs> that's against compliance. Is that yes. what you're doing? And, and, you know, the funny thing is I, I, I try really hard because I follow all of my clients. I see all of you out there and um, every now and again, come across something that might be a little bit tricky. And I send a, you know, side text message to uh, maybe clean that up a little bit. But um, usually most of our clients are very well behaved. So it, it, it's one of those things, though, it's it, you know, when I'm scrolling at 3am, because I can't sleep on on <laughs> um, noticing some of those those tricky things or, uh, you know, it's a catch 22. Yes, yes, I, I can only oh, totally understand that. So I want to talk, talk a little bit about the Boston Beer Company side of things only because when you go there and you get introduced to this whole idea of marketing and compliance, 
I don't really know what sort of, is there government regulations that are involved with this? Because at some point you could no longer do cigarette commercials on TV, but you can do alcohol commercials. Things, things change. They always advance. But at the same exact time, you also see, or should I say, it was discus. I was thinking of discus because they put forth some guidelines on how people should have more, I guess, truth in marketing, or is it something like that? How does how do the government regulations and discus play into what you're trying to do? Yeah, so it it plays a big part, and one of the one of the trickiest parts of alcohol regulation and trying to navigate your way through generally in marketing, but specifically for social media, is honestly trying to navigate, quite frankly, all of the different regulators out there. So social media, for example, or social influencers um, and marketing for alcohol in general is actually governed by several different layers, which is unique to the alcohol beverage industry. So you have on a federal level, alcohol falls under, most alcohol falls under the jurisdiction of the TTB. Now, the TTB governs most categories of product, but there's some things like hard seltzers that are sugar sugar-based products that actually fall under the FDA. What complicates this is there are two very distinct government bodies that have different rules that apply to like products. So sometimes it's very difficult when you're out in the market, you see two similar products to figure out, A, who is even regulating or has jurisdiction over this from a marketing perspective. From a social media perspective, one of the other things to consider is the FTC is really the agency that governs social influencers and social media the closest. But alcohol in general outside of that is also a self-governed advertising body. So there are like Discus and the Wine Institute and the Brewers Association, all of those organizations put out advertising codes that the industry members abide by. And these codes are really basic. So they provide kind of the fundamentals of marketing alcohol beverages. Discus has actually provided both those kind of fundamental core advertising code regulations, but also went a step further and provide basically a code specifically for social media and social influencers, which is extremely helpful. And it nods to the FTC regulations. So by inherently understanding and knowing what Discus regulates uh, or what the Discus code provides, you're inherently kind of already following the FTC and the TTB and FDA guidelines on the subject. Some of the trickier parts is alcohol is also regulated very heavily on a, from a state perspective. So just because you're compliant on the federal level doesn't mean you're 100% necessarily compliant on a, from a state perspective. And most states, their alcohol regulations look very, very different. Each state has its own control board that regulates alcohol, you know, from a labeling perspective to marketing and a distribution perspective. And each state is different. So you have literally 50 different sets of laws that govern something. So if you're nationally distributed or even distributed in a few states, sometimes it's really tricky to navigate. Okay, you know what to do on a federal level, but, you know, you have the onus to make sure that you understand what you can do is permissible in the state as well. So kind of that 
web is honestly, I mean, that's a, a long way of kind of walking you through the general regulatory landscape of, of alcohol advertising, but it's um, it's complicated to say the least. And, you know, there's other important considerations like class action lawsuits and, you know, some other things that aren't necessarily regulatory bodies, but things that you should be generally aware of, which is not meant to scare you, but just, um, you know, provide information for for you to really understand that it's really multiple layers of regulation on alcohol in general. Well, it's complicated and that's why we need lawyers. That's what it comes down to in the day, right? And the other thing is you had mentioned, we were talking about discus. For anybody that doesn't know, it's the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. And they put out a, essentially what you said, it was a code. It, they're not rules. They're just something that everybody has just sort of consensually agreed upon and said, yes, this is probably the best way to do things. Is that a little bit different when you say like the FTC has actual hard things that says like you can get fined if you do this versus something that's just in discus? Yeah, that's exactly right. So so discus, it's a basically a voluntary code, right? So industry members as being part of discus, if they are a part of discus, basically pledge to abide by the advertising code. And again, the advertising code is pretty, it's fundamental, almost common sense things. Like, for example, you cannot advertise towards minors or all advertisement must be responsible. It has to be truthful. You know, they're very core, kind of fundamental, easy to follow things. But you're exactly right. The TTB, the FDA, and the FTC all have jurisdiction and, you know, enforcement power over a violation. So it's a little bit different, right? While it's a voluntary kind of thing that everybody abides by on the discus, from a discus perspective, the government agencies actually have enforcement. Makes sense. Makes sense. And I, I also want to put it out there that if you are in the influencer space or you're in the media space or anything like that, or if you're just a distiller that's starting up and you don't even have any idea what's going on, go and read that because we had to make changes on our end too. But when we st- actually started taking on advertisers that were in the whiskey space, they said, well, have you followed all the discus rules of, you know, code of conduct or whatever? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I started looking at it and it says, you know, your website should be age gated. So nobody under 20, at least it's age gated. I'm pretty sure anybody that's under 21 knows how to click the yes, no, put in a birth date sort of thing. But other thing is you've got to be able to prove that your audience is within, I think, what, 70 or 80% of a majority and it's going to be over 21. You have to be able to prove that. And with a podcast, that's really hard because we have to do our own listener surveys to kind of get that sort of stuff. So it was something that I learned a great deal about just learning through there. But some of the questions I have for you is that going to the the FTC and the FDA and the, the actual, because this is this is what I want to kind of get out of this is like, sure, the discus stuff is nice, but you're not going to get in trouble for it. Like, I kind of want to see what are people really, what they shouldn't be doing. Do you have any sort of bullet points that that companies should not do to help stay in compliance? Sure. And I can kind of answer that in in two ways both from what I see in the actual market. I follow a lot of my clients. I follow other people um, in the alcohol industry. So I often see things that maybe aren't always compliant to the letter of the law. So I can kind of answer and and approach it from that way. But then I can also give kind of a brief recap um, of generally, right, what you should be looking for in terms of ensuring that any social media that you're engaging in, or especially social influencers, you know, you're compliant. 
so the big thing from the FTC perspective is, and and what I see kind of as the most, maybe the the, the biggest area in which alcohol companies haven't quite caught on to being 100% compliant on is technically disclosure requirements or a social influencer is anyone with a material connection with the brand. A material connection, obviously, by, by kind of definition is a little bit loose, right? But what the FTC actually means by material connection is anyone. It could be an employee. It could be a family member. It could certainly be somebody who's actually compensated, right, which is kind of the other bucket of who these rules apply to. But even if you have a family member and you're a small distiller and they're posting on your brand's behalf, technically FTC regulations apply to them. Um, So it becomes very important to be very conscious of who's out there promoting your brand and in kind of what capacity. No, you don't have a obligation if you're not being paid or compensated and you just love the brand, right? And you're you're a consumer and you don't have a connection or you don't have that material connection with the actual supplier. You don't have any disclosure requirements for to to make a post, you know, the, where you say I love this bourbon, right? But anything that's actually a material connection or or closely linked to that supplier, you technically have to make a disclosure, right? So using sponsored or advertiser or making some kind of statement, right, within your post, letting people know or disclosing your connection with the supplier. So that's the thing that I probably see the most disclosures. And FTC is really, really concerned about making sure that companies are disclosing to their audience, their consumers, if there is that material connection. And it all goes back to making sure that from a social media perspective, everything is truthful. It's not misleading. You know, you want to make sure that everything, all of the content uh, that is being driven out there is um, is truthful. And that's really hard to monitor. So this is kind of the best way the FTC has come up to um, kind of monitor it. So the first big bullet point and probably the take home, if you take one piece of advice from from this podcast away, I would say is to make sure that you're following your disclosure requirements. Use advertiser, use the sponsor tag. Don't bury it in a bunch of hashtags. It should stand out. You know, people should be able to look at something and know that it's an, an advertisement content. The other thing is to, you know, just make sure that any claim made is truthful. It's not misleading. The influencer, if they are being compensated, and by the way, compensation could come in any form. It doesn't have to be monetary. Yeah, let's. I, I kind of dive in that Free a little alcohol. bit. Yeah, I, I, that's <laughs> yeah. that was that was my exact same thing I was going to ask. Is yeah, it's one thing to get paid three hundred dollars to make an Instagram story, and you're going to use the hashtag ad or hashtag sponsored. But there's a lot of people that are in my space, and bottles show up every single week, and. I don't I didn't know you had to do hashtag ad or hashtag sponsored or anything like that because sometimes they want it to feel organic. They don't want it to feel like a sponsored ad. Yeah. And I think a good tip of advice is and the FTC doesn't they're not saying that you need to be formal and buttoned up, right? They're just saying you need to disclose the relationship. For example, you don't have to use, you know, the tag advertiser or sponsored. You can just say, "Hey, thanks 
distiller for the free alcohol, right? And that discloses the relationship enough to satisfy the FTC closure, disclosure requirement. So as long as you're just being truthful about it, and if you're receiving free alcohol from a supplier and being asked to post about it, or you want to post about it, and you've received that for free, I highly recommend that you just generally disclose that by saying, you know, giving them a shout out and saying, thanks for the alcohol. And uh, that should that that should fulfill your your FTC duties. So what's the, I'm trying to think of who's going to come after me? If I don't do this, who would come after me? Would the FTC really come after Bourbon Pursuit? Like how, how are they monitoring this and how are they trying to figure out, are people not disclosing this properly? Yeah. So there's certainly a scale of risk here. There's very, very large companies out there in the alcohol space and otherwise, right? That aren't quite following these rules to a T. So all of this has to be put into context. With that said, the FTC at the uh, about August of 2021 issued a series of hundreds, hundreds of warning letters about social influencers. And the warning letters were sent to specific companies basically saying, hey, we're looking at this issue really closely. We think it's basically got at, gotten out of hand and we're paying more attention to this, right? And the letters kind of focused on two things. The lack of disclosures was a big important one, but it also looked at truthful statements. And especially as a distiller, when you engage a social influencer, you have to realize that the social influencer is really acting on your behalf, right? So everything that they say should be something that you, it should be substantiated, it should be truthful, and it should be something that represents your company properly. So it's very important, for example, to have a contract with that social influencer. So you can warrant that, you know, they've been given, for example, the discus advertising code and they're abiding by it, or that they're not going rogue and posting, you know, a, a health claim about your product, right? Which... It cures headaches. <laughs> right. This is where the worlds collide because, you know, from an FTC disclosure requirement, you have that to worry about. But if you have a social influencer out there that's making health claims about your product, for example... I no longer get hangovers when I drink this product. Um, you know, then you have the TTB saying that you're, you know, you're making a health claim. And, you know, you can get into some trouble from a federal level, a state level. It could ramp up really quickly. So, you know, you really want to be careful with the use of social influencers. I recognize that it's it's probably the most, influ especially right now, it's probably the best way to get your brand out there. And it's invaluable, really, to, to find some really good social influencers um, for a brand. And people listen, and it works. But, you know, with that comes some responsibility to make sure you're doing it properly. And a contract, following disclosures, just so you don't get into a trouble, and making sure that, you know, everything is truthful and misleading is really, really important. The other thing to note, and it's not so much an issue anymore, but it certainly was when kind of platforms first start, is to make sure that any platform that you're advertising on or through is LDA compliant. So, Kenny, I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but it's 71.6% of the audience should be over 21. And, you know, it's very important that some of these platforms, you know, the audience is 
predominantly adults, right? And when you're picking a social influencer, it's also really important to just make sure that that social influencer is, of course, of age, um, of legal drinking age. God, you'd hope so. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. That's, that should be rule number one. <laughs> <laughs> rule number one, full stop. But, you know, a close second is to just make sure that the audience is generally over 21, right? It should be 71.6. I know that's kind of a little bit hard, but... You know, I remember back in the day when Snapchat kind of first came around, that audience wasn't LDA compliant very first. Um, and it took a, a, a little bit of time for all the old folks like me uh, to join. Um, Same to, here. To you're, you're not bring alone it over there. the threshold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now we're, we're the old folks that are joining TikTok and we start seeing the LDA compliance start going <laughs> exactly. in. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Late to the game. There's probably another app out there that I don't know about. Um, you know, it's what we're going to do. Millennials will go ruin everything for the next generation. So now that you say that, you make a really good point because I had, I think it was from Diageo, Blade and Bow was the only time I've ever seen this when they sent me a gift pack, a hello, thank you for whatever. If And they said, if you would like to post about this and you would like to do something, please make sure you use hashtag sponsored or hashtag from Diageo, something like that in their, in the post. So they were actually kind of on the forefront of it. Whereas 95% of the other packages that I get in the mail don't have a little card that says, please use anything if you're going to post it on social media. <laughs> Good job, Diageo. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> they're in compliance. At least they're trying. I, I Nobody sent me a contract yet about anything, but I could, I could potentially see as this becomes more mature, and it probably all it's going to take is for one person to kind of get a crackdown. And at that point, everybody will start taking it a little bit more seriously because, yes, social media, it's the easiest way to get your brand in front of tens to hundreds of thousands of consumers with relatively little effort, just basically paying a few dollars in shipping to get your product in front of somebody. Yeah, so that's that's really good from a a brand standpoint. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on some of the platforms as well. We, we had talked about TikTok, talked about Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, kind of talk about these different platforms and sort of where their maturity level is. And if there's any sort of thing that in addition to it, that would be specific to a particular platform to stay in compliance. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. 
Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. I kind of want to get your thoughts on some of the platforms as well. We, we had talked about TikTok, talked about Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, kind of talk about these different platforms and sort of where their maturity level is and if there's any sort of thing that in addition to that would be specific to a particular platform to stay in compliance. Yeah, something that I often see with social media platforms. So everything that we just discussed also translates to social platforms, right? So marketing and advertising and social platforms. One of the the tricky things about social platforms that you often have to keep in mind is that you have a duty to monitor it, right? So if there are postings, for example, from children or somebody posts a picture to your Facebook account that has or tags you that has children in it as an alcohol beverage company, you should take that down. Obviously, that there's a thin line there, right? How much you actually have to monitor it and how much you actually have to kind of patrol what's going on. But you have a duty to do it and ensure that generally the content is, again, following the discus advertising code and and making sure, you know, there isn't anything too egregious on there, right? The people abusing products is a big one, right? So pictures of parties, pictures of people, you know, Overabiding um, is is something that you should really keep a close eye on, and you know the connection to children. Um, if there's anything, you know, any content on that's connected to your brand in terms of you know that wouldn't be LDA compliant, certainly, right? Or would tend to kind of market towards children um, is a big no no and should be monitored and, and removed. You know, that that monitoring element is a, is a bit tricky sometimes to navigate. I got a question for you. So what if what if you're a distillery and you have like a, an employee appreciation family day and they all just get together for one big happy family picture in front of a still? Is that something that would be kind of crossing some some lines there? Yeah, I mean, generally, I would say say no. I would ensure that, you know, nobody, for example, maybe was pictured actually drinking alcohol. But yeah, I think if if you post that as a distillery, my recommendation would be either to disclose that it was a family day, right? And it was a family event, um, like in the description um, next to the photo and um, just make sure that, you know, it's we, we invited our brewers and our families to come enjoy, you know, family day or something like that. But yeah, I mean, you as an alcohol beverage manufacturer, you know, have a duty to ensure that your marketing and advertising are geared towards people of legal drinking age and incorporate legal drinking age. So the threshold actually to use any paid people within your advertisement is actually 25 years old, right? So you shouldn't use any actors or anything and anybody less than the age of 25 if you're compensating them. And then anybody who's actually used in your advertisement um, that might not be compensated, you want to make sure they are LDA compliant. So while I appreciate the family day example, because I think that's a, that's a really tricky one, because I think 
if I was putting on my strict lawyer hat, I would probably say, yeah, that's not technically compliant. You're including, you know, children under 21. In your brand. In your advertising, right, in connection to your brand, right? I think from a practical perspective, from an enforcement perspective, however, you know, there's there's some discretion there. The judge isn't going to throw the book at you for that one. Yeah, yeah, if it's done in a responsible way, I could foresee it, you know, being low enough risk where you could make a a judgment call there. What if you're what if you're an influencer? I I'm technically what we would call an influencer on Instagram and all these other kind of things. <laughs> I know. Gosh, my wife loves it when we go out and somebody recognizes me and she's like, "Oh gosh, come on." Because people are like, "I follow you on Instagram." But anyway, for somebody like me or any other, you know, hundreds of whiskey or bourbon influencers that are out there, what do, do they need to be cautious or would I need to be cautious if I had a child just in one of my photos? And it's, it's not like that I'm representing a brand. It's just, it's just me. It's a podcast. I'm an influencer, but I'm not representing a particular brand or anything like that. So I don't think you have anything to worry about as long as it's clear that you're acting in your personal capacity. I would not, for example, include a picture of your child in a post when you are promoting an alcohol brand, right? So there's, you know, there's a fine line, right? And again, this is all a little bit gray. And I I typically talk about this right in the beginning. You know, something to note is most of the regulations, both, both on a federal level and a state le- level, were written in the years after prohibition, right? So they're really archaic. They're really old. They don't at all contemplate the internet or or marketing on um, any social, certainly not social media platforms. You know, it barely contemplates the telephone. So, you know, that's what we're working with here, right? We're trying to fit this new kind of space and this new technology into this super archaic set of rules and regulations. That's good because it leaves some wiggle room, right? It allows us to, you know, take a look at things and it's it's not so structured where there's firm do's and don'ts, but it's bad because it provides really little guidance, right? So navigating the space could be really tricky. So in your example, there's nothing explicitly that prevents you from doing that, right? But Use your judgment because, you know, a state regulator or a federal regulator has the discretion ultimately to make that decision. So, you know, reasonableness becomes really important when you're making these kind of decisions. Makes sense. I got one more thing because people consider their pets like children. What if I put a (laughs) bottle of bourbon next to my dog and take a picture? (laughs) So... To my knowledge, there isn't any regulation specifically around animals, but I could be forgetting something somewhere. But I would probably say as long as it was done reasonably and in jest, uh, you're you're probably okay. Yeah, it makes sense. So back onto the, the, the child thing, it's not just, it's just children, but it's even anything that kind of surrounds their basically that age range. I think probably one of the best examples that it's been around for a long time was a gentleman by the name of, of Brett, he went by the handle of Scotch Trooper. He passed away a few years ago and he used to do, I mean, he was a massive influence on Instagram where he would use all these Star Wars toys, but picking them in a, in a way of actually holding a bottle or pouring a glass. And he had all kinds of sponsors. And at some point, somebody had either reported it or figured it out and all the sponsors pulled away from him. So even to say that you can't even include children's toys in your pictures. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's a tricky line to navigate in, uh, or in discus advertising code. They literally contemplate that, right? The use of anything that appeals to children, which is really broad, right? Um, yeah, iPads appeal to children. Like, what are you right. about that? Yeah. Exactly. So it becomes really tricky. And, you know, Star Wars, it, it might be even arguable that that doesn't, I wonder what the age, the average age, right, of, of a Star Wars audience is, because I bet... Honestly, if you probably ran the statistics, it's it's probably LDA compliance, probably 71.6% or older. You know, I don't know a lot of like five-year-olds, for example, watching Star Wars, but there are exceptions, of course. But, um, you know, so I think that's a, that's a really tricky one. But again, if you're looking to the letter of the law, and you should be conscious of this, even if it's not intentional, right? Any cartoon depictions, or my favorite is, you know, around the holidays, the use of Santa Claus can become really, really dicey. And so to be, make sure that you're cautious that, you know, if there is, for example, um, illustrations or rendering on your labels or you're utilizing it on a social platform or any marketing for that matter, make sure that it looks, quite frankly, adult, right? That it's not geared. It doesn't feel childish. My Santa drinks bourbon. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And I think as long as you, again, come back to that reasonableness, like put on your hat, take a step back, make sure that it doesn't look like something that's going to appeal to children or childish, you should be okay. Don't use cartoons. Yeah. Generally. <laughs> maybe cartoons, maybe steer away from comic books, Fortnite. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, the list could go on of everything that you would typically find in somebody that might be under 18 and have that sort of connection. Uh, well, I'm trying to think, what was the next one? Pokemon Go? Probably don't want to do any, like, you know, finding bourbon under Pokemon Go? Probably not. Yeah. There's probably a lot of examples I come with. The other thing I want to kind of talk about is that we see influencers and companies all the time doing giveaways. I kind of want to talk about this because you see this not as much on the the company distiller stance. I've seen it before. You don't see it too often where it's enter our online raffle or follow us for a chance to win this particular bottle. You see it a lot on the influencer side where people are giving away bottles. They're giving away samples. Kind of talk about that from either side. Yeah. So if a social influencer is running a giveaway or a sweepstakes or a contest or anything kind of in that realm in connection to a brand or on behalf of a brand, all of the rules that apply to a supplier running that sweepstakes or contest or giveaway apply to that social influencer, right? What you can't do directly, you can't do indirectly, right? So from a supplier's perspective, you can't kind of utilize that social influencer to get around regulations uh, that you couldn't do yourself. The best example of that is it is prohibited to give away free alcohol. <laughs> okay. So that's, that's Period. number one. Okay. Period. Right. So that's a really easy one. Right. And um, something I see all the time, by the way. Now, there are creative ways to do it. And is that an FTC rule that says you're not allowed to give away free alcohol? Yeah, that's a TDB rule. Okay. Yep. So um, and and prohibited in almost every state. Right. So so you cannot give away. That's kind of a blanket rule. Right. Or you cannot. I mean, the other big one is you cannot require a condition to enter. And I say that as it's not per se prohibited, but once you 
ask for some kind of consideration to enter, you start to walk the line of a lottery, which lottery laws in states get really complicated really fast. And kind of as a gating a gating rule, you need a license to run a lottery. And you shouldn't run one without a license. So avoid, for example, that's why in almost every giveaway and almost every sweepstakes that you see, you'll see no purchase necessary. That right there, the sole purchase of the notice purchase necessary is to avoid the lottery loss. So, you know, they're the big two kind of things, right, um, is, is giving away. But, you know, you should have general rules. You should disclose when the start, when the end date is, what the prize value of what you're giving away is. If it's a random drawing, how it's being drawn, you know, kind of those those essential elements of how you're running that giveaway. Obviously, if you're giving away a pair of sunglasses, you know, and a social media influencer is doing it kind of, you know, it's a really small scale, you you scale down your rules, right? You give the basics, you ensure that everybody who enters is 21 and older. That one's a crucial one. You put a little blurb, no purchase necessary, must be 21 and older to enter. If there's any restrictions on states, for example, or restrictions on the program in general, I would disclose it. Technically, you should have official rules. This is one of those areas that you see it's kind of gotten, I don't want to say out of hand, but, you know, it's being utilized everywhere and very few people are doing it compliantly, quite quite frankly. What's the difference between, because you mentioned that you have to get a lottery, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> whatever, What's what would be the difference between a sweepstakes versus a lottery versus a giveaway? Kind of put those out there. So the really... A sweepstakes, by definition, is a game of chance, right? Where every single person who enters has an equal opportunity to win, and that drawing is random. A contest is something where it's a game of skill. You have to do something. You have to draw a picture. um, And the best picture, right, there's some criteria for the selection of the winner, and you're the winner, right? A lottery is... There is some kind of consideration to enter to win. Like, for example, when you go buy a lottery ticket, you pay for that lottery ticket. So there isn't an equal chance of winning, right? Because one person who buys five tickets and pays more compensation has a greater chance of winning than someone else. So they're kind of the three distinct types of, of, you know, consumer promotions that people typically run. The rules are look a little bit different. Sweepstakes and contests, your rules look very similar, right? It's usually the big thing with a contest is to make sure you're disclosing like how that winner is being selective, right? Like, are you just picking your favorite? You know, is it is it three people will vote to pick their favorite picture that you draw, right? Um, something like that. Or, you know, a bourbon tasting, for example, right? There's going to be a panel of three people. The You know, the bourbon that the three people like the best will be the winner of XYZ, right? That's very fundamentally different than a sweepstakes, which is basically everybody is put into um, a bucket and, um, you know, you pick a random winner and there's, everybody has an equal chance. Um, So it's kind of an even playing field. Okay. See, those are things I didn't, I didn't realize because another thing that we, we see a lot in the bourbon world is giving and donations to charity and you see, you see bourbon charity fundraisers and sweepstakes or lotteries or whatever they're going to call them that are online. And they're typically done by 
say people like me or just people that are in the community, what are the legal implica- implications of, of doing something like this? If Do we need to get some sort of, I don't know, want to say some sort of license or something that allows us to be able to provide this as a free of charge to help raise money for charities? So it's a bit of a loaded question and I'll give you a bit of a loaded answer. Every single state treats charitable donations a little bit differently. And I will tell you out of all of the things we're talking about today, charities are, I would proceed with the most caution. And it's not so much from a legal perspective, but more from, quite frankly, a PR perspective. Ensure that whatever you're raising um, or contributing to, you know, the charity Charity is reputable, right? They should be a 501c3 They should, or, you know, some other form of nonprofit. You know, they should be reputable. They should make sure, and this is something I've run into a lot in my past life, um, you should ensure that you reach out to them and they're okay with the connection with alcohol because there's a lot of organizations out there, specifically kind of in the health industry, you know, heart or cancer organizations, uh, nonprofit Um, organizations that actually don't want to be affiliated with alcohol. So, you know, making sure that it goes both ways, right? That you think you could be doing something really beneficial for a charity and it's something that's really important, but sometimes it's not reciprocal, right? Sometimes the charity doesn't want the association with alcohol. So you have to be a little bit careful there. Donation laws and how to actually auction off alcohol or donate to an event, right? Or sell it for fundraising purposes literally varies state by state. You know, most of your state ABCs have guidance on their websites. So you can go to, for example, the Kentucky ABC website and look under charitable donations or charity and search for it. And usually states are pretty good about issuing advisories or it's in their FAQs and kind of give you a roadmap of how to do it compliantly in the state. Okay. Makes sense. So I probably need to look at that next time we run a, our end of the year charity auction or whatever it is that we're doing to help raise money for anything else. And we quote unquote, give away or give the bottles to the winners that are randomly drawn because they have an equal opportunity to, to get it by essentially purchasing a, a ticket or whatever it is. Maybe that's a lottery. Ah, oh, Jesus. Now I'm, I'm, I'm all, all over the place here. Well, Charities are a little bit different. Listen, like if the intention is there and you're donating to a good cause, you know, and you're trying to be compliant, listen, you you should always follow the laws and regulations in your jurisdiction. But if you're attempting to do something and, you know, you're selling to a ticketed event, there's there's usually some exceptions and, and states recognize that. If they ever come after me, I'm going to say, Nicole Shustak said I could do this. Go talk oh, no. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't throw you to the bus right away. I know. Please don't. Uh, so we kind of talked a, a bit aside of this, but I also want to bring in back to the influencers that are giving away bottles. Maybe they're not connected to a brand. Maybe they're just wanting to get more followers and say, hey, follow me and make a comment and I'll give away this bottle of Eagle Rare. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think social influencers should be careful and to give you a complete non-answer, it will really depend on where they sit, right? And where what what is happening um, in that state, both where the social influencer sits, right? But where they're also giving it away to and how it's getting there. Unfortunately for spirits, you know, direct to consumer shipping and shipping alcohol is 
difficult. Um, it's not like wine where it's, you know, DTC is almost in every state. So it becomes really tricky to give away alcohol, even for a social influencer, especially if they're doing it to, you know, gain more likes or, or there, there's some kind of some kind of incentive for the social influencer. You know, the easiest thing to do, and I know this isn't always, you know, this isn't always the best, but you can always give a gift card, right? And suggest that whoever the winner is goes to their local liquor store or, you know, orders it and their favorite uh, retailer that delivers the alcohol. And, you know, that's always kind of the easiest, most compliant way to do it. The other thing is, and this is this is one that's often kind of overlooked, and something you really want to be careful of is if you give anything over the value of $600, anything, um, the prize value is over $600, there are tax implications, and federal tax is owed on that prize value by the recipient. And you, as a social influencer or whoever runs the program, has a duty to send them a 1099. So my advice is typically just never give away prizes over $600. But, you know, for something that's really rare or something that's really, you know, a trip or something, I mean, you easily reach that threshold. So it's just something, again, to be conscious of. Okay, I'll, I'll throw a scenario at you. So we'll say I am an influencer in Texas and there's a winner that's in California and I'm just trying to get likes and they commented and they're like cool, I'll send you this bottle Eagle Rare. I don't have, it's, you know, DTC, whatever. I'm just putting in a UPS box. I'm not telling the UPS person what it is. It just shows up. If for somehow this becomes, if this raises up, like what are the possible implications? Like if, if somebody was to do a case against me, like what could possibly happen? So technically when you ship alcohol, USPS, you cannot ship alcohol. So you USP, and that is changing, um, but as of today, as of right now, you cannot ship alcohol using USPS. UPS and FedEx both have alcohol policies where you're supposed to disclose it. So the real risk actually is from them um, not abiding by their policy, their alcohol policy. And it's a, it's a lengthy policy. They both have it on their website. You know, the biggest risk, honestly, is like you get in trouble with FedEx and UPS and they like don't ship for you anymore. (laughs) Um, But you, you know, you could have a state liquor control board look into that. So, you know, California, the the examples that you gave, the California ABC and uh, the TABC are two, you know, states that heavily enforce things. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say that they're going to catch everything. I think it's really hard from an enforcement perspective to, to, to monitor this activity, to just be practical, you know, and it's done every day all the time. And quite frankly, I think states are recognize that to some extent, but they don't know how to get the cat back in the bag. It's just, it's been going on for such a long time and kind of unmonitored and not enforced that it's really, really difficult to do that. But, you know, I'll tell you in, in California, even with they recently, you know, did a sting operation um, and states have been doing that, right? Um, where they'll, have an enforcement officer kind of go undercover and and try and participate in some of these things and you can get fined and some of the fines are really hefty you know and that's that's more geared to licenses right so that's supplier you as a social influencer are unlicensed um but you still have to comply with state laws 
So, you know, that's that, that's the big one. So there we go. There's sting operations everywhere. Just if you get in trouble, just make sure you call Nicole Shustak of McDermott, Will & Emery. She'll take exactly. care of you. <laughs> exactly. Well, you answered a lot of my questions and I think we, we covered a lot of ground. You know, we talked about how to stay compliant. We looked at, you know, the different types of platforms and what people are doing. Rule number one, if you are a brand, do not give away alcohol. That's the that's the easy one. And if you're going to do something, don't call it a lottery. <laughs> I guess that's yes. the other thing I learned. <laughs> I know. Lottery laws are not something to mess with. Uh, gaming gaming authorities, are they're real and they're out there. <laughs> Good to know. So if people want to learn more about what you can provide, your services, how do they get in contact with you, follow you on social, all those types of things? Sure, absolutely. Um, so the easiest thing is to um, check out our alcohol advisory blog. Um, and we publish pretty often kind of hot topic issues. And we also give some webinars that are available on the McDermott website. So our our group of attorneys and uh, kind of specialists in the industry, we only do alcohol. This is our bread and butter. Most of us have been doing it for our entire careers. We're a group of, you know, all ladies, actually, which is kind of unique in the alcohol beverage industry, but it just, you know, happy circumstance. And uh, yeah, this is what we do in and in and out. So, um, you know, if you have any questions, you know, feel free to reach out or find me on LinkedIn or, you know, visit our website. And there's some great general advisory and some some advice there and um, always help navigate this insane space. <laughs> I mean, that's, I actually found out about what your firm was doing through a, another kind of a conference website. And I said, this is probably going to be something that's interesting that people might not know about and to find a little bit of a, a new con, a new connection into the, the social influencer realm and what people are doing right and what people are doing wrong. Yeah. I mean, a kind of a plug to, to some of the trade organizations out there. I mean, Discus being the predominant one, um, you know, they have so much great material on their website. And if you become a Discus member, the access to information is is amazing from a legal perspective. I mean, it's invaluable. They have a Discus Academy program where they do everything from marketing to legal advice, right? Where there's free webinar, there, there's webinars, you pay for them. But if you're a Discus member, you know, you get some of that, uh, that for free. But um, so there's really great resources out there. And it could be really daunting to kind of navigate the space and figure out what the heck you're doing. But um, overall, most state ABC agencies are really good about putting out advisories or, and, and advice. So there's, there's resources out there, you just kind of have to know where to look. Cool. Well, make sure you go check out McDermott, Will, and Emery. Say, I want Nicole on my side and say, say you heard her on Bourbon Pursuit because we know that she's the real deal here. So, Nicole, I do want to say thank you for, for joining the show. Go follow them. You can follow us on all the socials. You can go to our website, bourbonpursuit.com, get signed up for our email newsletter so you never miss an episode. And if you like the show, make sure you share it with a friend. And if you want to, please leave a review and we'll, we'll, we'll read it. Only the good ones, though. Don't live the bad. <laughs> Just kidding. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next time.